Thank you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians for me. One day I'll be ready to stand up here, I promise, but not today. Ephesians. Last week, last week, if you were here, Lisa did a tremendous job. Lisa and Andrew are currently on their, um, I was going to say honeymoon, but it's not. It's the thing that happens when you've been married for a long time, which is an anniversary. They're on their anniversary and are in Townsville. But Lisa preached last week and she did a phenomenal job. She preached about getting out of the box, right? That as Christians, it's time for us to get out of the box. And there's been this somewhat urgency on my heart for the last little while for us as a church to wake up. That we have a job to do in this, in our spheres personally first, then in our wider spheres, and then going out and out and out from there. And I'm going to continue in that vein today. I, I want to continue on from what, from what Lee did. But something came up while I was talking to Mal before the service, and God has not let it leave my heart during worship. But we are in, as as Jess said when, we, when I first started, we are in November. And which means that we're coming up to December, which means every one of us already has started thinking about our New Year's resolutions, right? We're pumped about the new, new year, new me, right? And I was chatting with Mal and it just kind of came out and I, I was thinking about it more during worship that if we go into this end of this year, which how many of us are tired? I, I'm tired. I, I'm looking forward to three weeks of, of break. But as I was chatting with Mao, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that if, if we don't do anything, that three being added to the 2022, that two changing from a two to a three, means nothing to us. Absolutely nothing. These pants that I own in 2022, I'm going to put the same ones on in 2023, unless I get some new ones for Chrissy. I could get new pants for Chrissy. But I'm going to be, unless I decide to do something... The same me that's in 2022 will be the same me that enters into 2023. If I'm tired, frustrated, annoyed, too busy, don't have time for my kids, don't have time for my, my environments, don't have time for this, don't have time for that, I can't figure out this, I don't have enough of that. If that's me in 2022, nothing changes when that clock strikes 12 o'clock on the 31st of December. Nothing. We wake up the next day with exactly the same pants on. One of my favorite quotes, I, I was listening to a podcast and they asked this multi-billionaire, what would be the piece of advice you would give to your, part, your, your child self? And he, his advice to himself when he was, I think they asked it when you were 12, was everyone puts their pants on the same. And I thought that is a brilliant quote. We all have the ability inside us to decide whether we stay the way we are or whether we draw on what's in us to become something different, to become something better. Lise talked about the fact that we have to break the box that we've created for ourselves and we have to remove the box that we've put God in. And she used this verse, if you're already in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we've been in the church for a while, we've probably seen this as a fridge magnet or a bumper sticker or someone's posted it up on a photo of a, a coffee cup or some nice memed picture. But there's so much nuance to this and I, and I think Lise used it in an incredible way, but I think we can also draw deeper into it because there's so much that happens in this verse that, that Paul, the author who's writing to the church in Ephesus, is saying to them that you can do far more than you understand when you, when you, when you fully understand this point. It's Christ in you that allows you to draw on the abundance that he is talking about. Before I break the verse down, I want to show you something. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, right? And in that letter, we see a lot of incredible stuff. We see verses like that there's grace in our faith. We see that we're one body in Christ. We're one in Christ. We see the incredible Ephesians 4 gifts of the Spirit. We see how to walk in love and how to love our spouse and to walk in honor of our spouse. And we see in the last verse of Ephesians, we see the whole armor of God, right? We've used these verses time and time again to empower us and to, to quote, to say, look, God's given us the tools. But turn your Bible to Revelations 2. Revelations 2. So Paul pens this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says, church in Ephesus, these are all the things you're going to need to be a successful minister of the gospel. These are all the things you're going to need to live your life incredibly. These are all the tools in your toolbox. But then in Revelations 2, chapter 1, we see Jesus... Right, sorry, the angel of the church write the words to, G, to, to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had of first. Remember therefore, I remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says to the church in Ephesus, you have done all these amazing things, church. You have lived in love. You have succeeded in loving your spouse. You have understood one body. You have done all these incredible things at the very start. And he says, but I have this one thing against you. You forgot your first love. You forgot the very thing that we started this whole journey for. You forgot the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. You forgot the fact that you come to me first. You live from me first. The reason that I, you were to have done all this was for my sake. And he says, I like that he says at the end, he says, go back. Go back to what you had at first. You've abandoned all that you laid before you. Go back to that. Go back to Jesus and the understanding of who he is and what he's doing in your life. Lay down all the other stuff. You've done it well, but you forgot this thing. And it's interesting that he says to them, he says, I, if you do not repent, if you do not go back 
to your first love. I will remove your lampstand. In this prophetic picture, the lampstand speaks of their, the thing that allows people to see their light. It's their, their platform, their position, right? They could see the Ephesians. They knew who they were. They were people of renown because of the way the gospel was presented to them. And Jesus says, if you don't go back and do it for me once again, I will take it from you. Nobody will know who you are. Nobody will know of the greatness of which you've done. Nobody will know of the work you've laid before him. I will take what, what I have given you. I will take it from you. If you fail to remember why you did it. And I think for me in this, what's key is that this can become a job. This can become, for all of us, church can become something we do. Christianity can be something we tag on. But what... What the angel is saying to the church in Ephesus is that there is a reason I have called you church. There is a reason that I have asked you sons and daughters, not because it's convenient, not because it's something that I think you need, but because I was and am your first love. And I was challenged during the week to, to remember what it was like when I first got saved, to remember the, the beauty and the purity of knowing Christ for the first time. There's this there's this absolute pureness where nothing can hinder my, the way I see Christ in that moment. When you see somebody first saved, they can have all of the, the naysayers tear them apart, say it's a, it's a waste of time or you'll get this or you'll get that. But there's absolute beauty and glisten in their eye of I know what I saw, I know what I have. And what the angel is saying to the church in Ephesus is he says, I will take it all from you if you don't go back to that. And I don't want this to be a, a challenging message. I, I really want it to be an uplifting message. But there is some severity and there is some, some, some serious position here that, that the angel gives the church in Ephesus. I've given you all the tools, but the moment you make it about anything but me, you have lost your way. You have lost what I called you to. Go back to Ephesians for me. Ephesians 3. Now to him, 3.20 verse 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The first point in this is to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I think sometimes for all of us, we get to a place where we actually forget just who God is. We forget the, the size and magnitude of Yahweh the Creator and what He can do in us and through us. We actually forget this, the, the fact that we have been called and empowered by the, the great King. And I think sometimes in, our, in the way we live our life, we, we, we lose the understanding that God is much bigger than we can ever understand. He says that He's able to do far more abundantly. He can do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. That word abundant means a great or plentiful amount, the condition of being rich in supply. He can do far more than a great or plentiful amount. He can do far more than a rich supply. 
I think there's a lot of us who live in a place where we don't understand what God, and, and often we want to draw our eyes back to, well, that's just talking about money, but he's not talking about money. He's talking about influence. He's talking about the way that we can carry something, the way that we can change a room or an atmosphere when we walk in, that we can actually shift. If, if there is a, a, a demonic depression or if there is a, a, a pain or a suffering, we carry the ability to shift that room, to change that atmosphere. What we did just before during worship and why I, I, I focus on speaking about how big God is as we go into worship is because we are shifting an atmosphere in this city. We can actually begin as a people to change the way things happen in this city. That as when we learn the, the, the reality of Christ being able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask for. If I asked, if I asked Sean, what's the biggest problem in the city? And would you want to change it? He could break it down for me and tell me all the things that are wrong with the city and the things that are falling apart. He could tell me, in a sense, the miracles we would need to fix it. God can do more than Sean's reality of how to fix the problem. Abundantly more. But there's a challenge in this verse, and I think we have to, we can't stop there. I think when we, when we operate from the, the, the bumper sticker Christianity, as Brad used to call it, when we, when we stay in this place of, of just the, the start, we miss what, what the author is actually saying because he puts a caveat in this. He puts the next step. He says, to him who can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. But the next part he says is he says, according to the power at work within us. Far more abundance only comes according to the power that's at work in us. What's the power that's at work within us? Someone has to know. I've said it 7,000 times over the last nine months. The risen Christ. The risen Christ. The power and work in us is the risen Christ. Right? Jesus died on the cross, yes, but that wasn't the center of the story. He rose again, yes, but that wasn't the center of the story. Lazarus died and rose again. That wasn't the power that, that was in Christ. The power that was in Christ was that he ascended to the throne and is the king who rules and reigns. Right? That's the Christian story. The gospel isn't that Christ died for your sins so you could go to heaven. That's a part of the gospel. The gospel is the risen Christ is at work alive in us. And when we actually learn how to draw on that well that's in us, we can then do abundantly more right what tends to happen is that we understand this scripture on a surface level so we'll say bible says that i can do abundantly more than i can think or or dream yes that's true only if you understand the fullness of the risen christ in you and you live from that place see when we don't understand that in us we stay powerless the church stays powerless we have to learn as a people and there's a deep knowing when we spend time with the Father, we begin to understand the attributes of Christ in us. We begin to understand what's our flesh and what's actually the power of the risen Christ in us. When we begin to understand those things, then we understand the power that is abundantly greater than we can ever ask or think. Does that make sense? Does anyone have a question? I'll pause for question while I get a sip of water. Is 
that your question? How you do it? I'm so glad you asked, Jess. That's the next point. Like we thought you planned it. According to the power at work within us. How do we do it? Sean knew what I was going to say. The last part he ends in the verse is, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. To him be the glory. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is how the kingdom works. It's very simple. God gives us everything. We take the everything he gives us and we give it back to him. And then in his glory and his goodness, he takes everything he, we gave to him, he adds a little bit more and he gives it back to us. And what we do in everything that he's given us is we take all that he's given us and we give it back to him. See, worship, worship in the New Testament. Jesus never worshipped in the New Testament in the sense that we understand worship today. He retreated, but we don't see him stop and give glory to God in a sense and call it worship. But what he did do is one very simple thing. He said, I do everything the Father asked me to do. I say everything the Father said me to say. Worship in its purest form is absolute obedience. That when we come to a place of going, how do I live empowered by God? How do I live where I only draw on the well of the risen Christ that is inside of me? Is I learn how to hear his voice and I do everything he says. See, if, if, if Christ in the Father and the Father in Him is the author of all life, then I think He knows how I should live my life. If the author of the, the story told me everything of how to live, that's the, the closest place I can live to perfection, right? If the guy who built the Ikea desk was there with you when there was thousands of parts spread on the floor, you're going to intently listen to the guy because he knows what to do. The simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to, to know Him. Because when I know Him, that's why I, I implore people to read this book. Not because it makes you a good boy or girl. Not because you'll get good ticks at school. Not because then you'll know it and can win an argument against someone who doesn't read it. But because this is one of the simplest and easiest ways in which we come to know Him. And once we come to know Him and we know His voice, when He says, Sean, don't do that, we don't do that. Or when He says, Sean, do that, we step there and it just all makes sense. But the reality, the thing we can never ever miss, understand, is that it's glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. See, what Ephesus forgot, what the church in Ephesus forgot, was their first love. They understood that they had to be a, a good church, but they misunderstood why they were doing it. Because of the love of Jesus Christ. See, when we understand that there is a, a, a reason we are doing this, we understand that there is a reality, God, you asked me to do it. There is a very... It's very easy and it's a very difficult thing for a leader to stand in a, in a place where it seems like things aren't working. It seems like 
less people are showing up, less people are engaged, less people are caring. It's a very easy step to say, well, this isn't working. Let's move on to the next thing. But when God's asked you to do it, you can't move on. Whether it's succeeding or it's failing, you can't move on. Why? Because you said, do this, God, and I trust you. Right? When we do something in our life that we're truly passionate about it, it makes sense to nobody else. Sean plays ping pong. Sorry, table tennis. I don't get it. But he's passionate about it. So he doesn't care whether I care. If I said to him, don't play, don't play table tennis, come play golf, it's better. He doesn't care. Because he's passionate about it. Because he knows it's, it, that's what I want to do. See, when we really get passionate about Christ in us, when we really go, I believe this, it's not just something that I, I stumbled upon. It's not just something that I, I thought was a good idea. It's not just something that my parents told me would be good. When we truly understand the risen Christ, that he died for me, he didn't die for everybody. He died for me. He did die for everybody, but you know what I mean. Hmm. Oh, everyone's listening. Fantastic. I say that because I think what happens is, as a youngest child of, of five, five boys, there's always, when, when I get in the room with my brothers, everyone goes up about five to ten volumes. It's very loud. Ask Jess, she will agree. It's very loud. And if you're not the loudest in the room, you don't get heard, right? Or if you're not the quickest to the table, you might not get dinner. No, it wasn't that bad. But what tends to happen when we say, well, Jesus died for everyone, is that I'm the small kid at the back of the room. I got included in the group. I got included in everyone. But that's not what Jesus did. He died for you. He died for you. Why? Because he believed in who you were created to be. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't something he had to do. He realized, I know who Tim is and he needs me to do this so that he can come into the fullness. But if we don't live in that fullness, if we don't step in and say, yes, God died so that I could operate in him and through him and with him and allow myself to act in abundance, then more we could think or ask, then we're limiting what the cross means altogether. If we limit the cross to a ticket to heaven, we've misunderstood the entire gospel. John starts his gospel by saying this, in the beginning. He says this is where the gospel starts, all the way back in the garden. What was there? Perfection and beauty created in a people who walked in the Ruah, the cool of the day, the Spirit of God. There was a beauty in operating God and man as one. Mia Sark's one flesh to operate together. That's what Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross so that we could say, the risen Christ is in me. And it's that the well in which I, I draw my life from. And I can do abundantly more. Why? Because He is in me. For what purpose? To bring glory to the Father. That's what the verse means. It doesn't mean I can go and be the biggest CEO in all the world and make all the money and change the world and then go, look how good I did. Because that's what Ephesus did. And Jesus said, if you don't fix this, church, I will take it from you. I will take your lampstand. And I, you all know how much I mildly dislike carrot-dangled prophecies that are just there all the time it seems.
but I, I, I really can't shake. We, we have some exciting news that we are going to announce in a couple of weeks um, about what next year looks like. And there's something in me that feels like there is a time coming for the church to, to, to rise and to come into who she was always meant to be. There has been a cleansing in the church. There's been a purification in the church that has been taking place. But when the purification, the cleansing ends, is there has to be a people willing to say, I understand what it looks like to live in the sacrifice of the risen Christ. And I am willing for that to flow through me, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what it looks like or how it feels or what it sounds like. I put my hand up to be a son and a daughter of the risen Christ who will step into the place that I'm supposed to be. See, in with uh, quickly before I finish... Esther, when she went to be in the courts of the Pharaoh, there wasn't just a two-second process and then she was there willing to be able to say to Mordecai, here I am, Mordecai, let the Lord use me. And Mordecai say, beautiful, Esther, you weren't here yesterday, but you're here today. Esther had to go through a purification process. For a year, she had to go into cleansing before she could even be presented before the king. There was trials and, and, and pains and sufferings. There was stretching. There was an, an absolute walk into the throne room in order to say, okay, Lord, I'm here. You can use me. The challenge, I think, for most of us in the church is we get a month into that trial, which is a 12-month stretch, and we go, Lord, this is too hard. I'm out. But how come, Lord, you never put me in the position that Esther was in? How come you never used me in the way you used Esther, the way you used Daniel, the way you used David? All of these people throughout Scripture all went through a trial of growing, stretching, being ready. And then God says, now you're in the position that I need you in. I will use you. If, if any of them pulled out at any point along the journey, they would have missed their opportunity to change a generation. The simplicity of how we live in the abundance and know of Christ is to learn how to hear His voice and then do exactly as He says. And I want to challenge you, that, that learning takes time, that listening, that understanding takes time. It means being in this. It means being quiet. It means praying. It means standing in a place to say, God, this is uncomfortable. This is time consuming. I could be doing a hundred other things, but Lord, I, I want to hear Your voice. But Ben, what if I stand in my living room in silence for an hour and I hear nothing? I don't know. But go back tomorrow. But what if I'm there for a week and I've asked God to speak and I hear nothing? Go another week. Go five weeks. Go ten. But it's a waste of my time. Then you don't understand and that's why you can't hear God's voice. See, imagine if David said, hey, I've been out in the paddock tending these sheep done it for five years, six years, seven years now, uh, nothing's happening. It only takes one moment and God shifts a generation. What if Gideon spent one week less in the press treading the grain? One week less, he misses the call. And this is not a fearful thing. This isn't something, well, I hope I don't miss it. It's that, no, Lord, what's most important to me beyond my core, like the challenge of the church in Ephesus, is, Lord, I'm not doing this to get my call. I'm doing this because you're worth it, because you're worthy. I'm doing this because I want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. If I come away with nothing, everything you've already given me is enough.
If I come away with nothing, if I, if I come away and I don't have a call, if I come away and there's no earth-shattering shift for my life, Lord, it was worth what you've already given me. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Over the last few weeks, I have gotten myself, I challenged you guys when I preached the last time that we should be discipling one another. Put a check in my heart that I went and got someone else. I was working with Paul. I meet with him every Monday. And he really challenged me on how do you actually bring heaven to earth. And I think for me, practically, what, what did that mean? And over the last few weeks, whenever I walk into a room, I literally yield to the spirit by going, Father, use me in this moment, use my tongue, use my mind, use my thoughts in this moment. And there's been so many amazing things that have happened over the last few weeks. And I'm not talking like life-changing, but I'm talking like it's made me realise in every single one of those small moments that He is real and He is alive. And He wants to use us as His vessels. He wants to each of us to know that like, the revival that we're looking for is us. It's not coming, it's here. Mm. And it's our willingness to actually stop and ask him to, like, you prayed the prayer, you've got the salvation, he's here. But how are you gonna, how do you get him there? How do you actually build the kingdom? It's like, by yielding to him and just going, Father, it's simple, like you said, like, Father, use my tongue, use my mind, use, whatever is inside of me for your kingdom right now. And to be honest, that's my testimony of what's been going on in my workplace. I started asking for wisdom in that place, and that's why I am where I am. Um, it's why I'm able to stand in front of you and talk. It's why I'm able to go to someone like a stranger and just go, are you okay? Because over those small little moments of the last few years of my life, I'm learning how to hear his voice and just act in those small moments. And I think that's all we're supposed to do. Like, it doesn't have to be this big, I need to go and prophesy to the thousands. It's go and be in the moments that you're already in because he's put you in your families, he's put you in those jobs, and he wants you to start there and start today and not wait. Stop waiting. Like, it's good. we're the people. This is us. Like, good, I know, look, there's, what, 30 of us? But it's here and it's now, and I know from the bottom of my heart that he is real and it is not as scary as we think it is but it just starts with yielding and just going I have no idea what's going to happen but Lord use me in this moment it's good man good man does anyone have any questions? once twice thrice let's stand let's stand I want to challenge you, please don't give me a courtesy amen. If, if you don't, amen to the courtesy amens. If you don't agree with what I'm about to pray, please don't say amen. Because amen means make it so, establish it. Right? When we say amen, we're agreeing with what the person has said and we're asking God to establish what they have said amongst two or three witnesses. Right? That was the, the original understanding of amen. So what I want to do right now is pray something that's on my heart 
And if you don't agree with it, don't say amen. But tonight, when you, before you go to bed or if, when you have a quiet moment, pray and, and ask God to reveal something in you. But Father, we come before you right now, Lord. God, we stand as a, a group of people who, Lord, in most cases have no idea how to truly live out your kingdom. God, have no real grasp on exactly how we're supposed to do it. Lord, but we are a people willing to be yielded to your voice. God, we are a people willing to bear our hearts in humility and say, Lord, we don't know how, but we are willing. God, we are a people who is asking you to search our heart, to find the things in us that don't reveal your kingdom, that don't bring about who you are in our spheres and in our world, and are asking you to take those things from us. To break us, to mold us and make us. To humble us. God, I ask that in these, these days and weeks to come, in the lead up to the closing out of 2020, in the beginning of a new year, Lord, would you reveal to us how to truly hear your voice? Lord, would you speak to us in the quiet place? Lord, if there's dreams or visions, if there's, there's things you've asked us to do in the past that we've forgotten about, God, would you bring them to our attention and would you give us the skills and abilities to begin to think through them again? God, would you take the pain and the, and the heartache from things that have happened in the past that have stopped us from coming into the things you want us to, to step into? Lord, would you take those things from our life? For those who are part of this house that are here and not here, God, would you take the trauma and the pain from our hearts that are stopping us from coming in to the call that you have for us? Lord, would you allow us to understand what it means to have the risen Christ in us? Would you allow us to learn how to drink from your well? How to live from your life? Lord, lastly, would you show us how to come back to our first love? For those of us who have been saved for a long time or for those of us who have just been saved, who have just understood this, Lord, would you allow us to truly come back to our first love to you, Jesus? Those things that we've done in vain, those things that we've done out of something we think we have to, Lord, would you show us how to make it about you again? Lord, we heed the challenge to the church in Ephesus. And we ask, would you reveal it in our hearts so that we can change our hearts and come back to you? We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And we glorify your name. You are the great king in whom we serve. And we worship you in this place. In your beautiful name we said, Amen.